Welcome to another episode of Let's Go 360. Let's Go 360 is a podcast for listeners who want to know more about what God is doing around the world, here, near, and far. This podcast is sponsored by Christ Church of the Valley, also known as CCV. One church with many locations across the greater Phoenix area, with plans to expand wherever God wants CCV to go. And as always, our show notes will have links to helpful information discussed in each podcast episode, along with a complete transcript of every episode. Check out all episodes on letsgo360.org. And be sure to check out CCV at CCV's website, ccv.church. My name is Larry Fraley. I'm your host and lead pastor of the local and global missions here at CCV. Well, I'm so honored to have with us today, Terry Dalrymple. And for many years, I've known Terry, and he has become a close friend. And over the years, we have grown together to understand the poor and who they are and where they are. However, for the past 25 years, Terry has championed the cause of the poorest of the poor, training and mobilizing workers around the world for transformational ministries in villages and slums, and making disciples and planting churches and lifting families and communities out of the cycles of poverty and disease. The strategy he employs is called Community Health Evangelism. We call it CHE, and it's now being used by Christian ministries in 129 countries. And as the coordinator of the Global CHE Network, He is guiding the expansion of a growing movement aimed at establishing Che ministry in a million villages and finishing the task among the unengaged people groups that make their home there. Now, Terry is the founder and coordinator of the Global Che Network and vice president of the Alliance for Transformational Ministry. He serves on several boards, including the Board of Transform World, where he is the catalyst for a Million Village Challenge. He's also faculty at the Geneva Institute of Leadership and Public Policy at the United Nations. He teaches on biblical holism and transformational development. He's the author of Beyond Poverty, Multiplying Sustainable Community Development. And Terry, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. You know, Terry, uh, you and your team are doing such an amazing work, but before we dive into that and hear about the work that Global Chain Network is doing, I want to hear your story, my friend. I think it's important for our listeners to hear that although I'm working at CCV to partners like you and others, but at the end of the day, I'm just like you. Or we're, we're just like each other. We're trying to follow Jesus, reach those who don't know Jesus. So hey, share with us how you ended up where you are today. I was raised in a pastor's home. And came to Christ uh, on April 20th of 1974. Uh, I felt that God was calling me into ministry. Uh, spent some time in the Philippines and believed that God was calling me back to the Philippines to serve as a church planter. Uh, my wife, Jeannie, also felt called to missions. Uh, I have two claims to fame. One of them is that I was born in Hollywood, California. The other is that I am married to the most beautiful girl in the world. And she's beautiful in a number of ways, but she loves the Lord. She is my partner in ministry. Uh, We went to the Philippines together, planted 
a church in Iloilo City with some daughter churches, went back to Manila uh, to plant a church uh, there and help plant a church there. And uh, in the course of that time, God began to speak to me. When I arrived on the field, my colleague said to me, if you feed someone today, they're going to be hungry again tomorrow. If you save their soul today, they're saved forever. And the message that was given to me was, you're not here to care for the physical needs of people. You're here to preach. But then, particularly in Iloilo, I came face to face with real poverty for the first time in my life. I was pastor to families who had no food security, uh, didn't know where the next meal was coming from, uh, didn't have more than a change of clothes. And... Uh, I, I began to ask questions about what is my obligation to the needs of the poor. Uh, I worked with five men that eventually became elders of the church that we planted. And I remember a dialogue with them when we were thinking about the, the mission of the church and actually writing a constitution for the church that we were planting. And I asked them, what is the mission of the church? And they said to me, well, it has to be to love God and love your neighbor. And I said, no, uh, the mission of the church is to save souls, and save souls love God and love their neighbor. Uh, I won the argument, but they won the war. Uh, I went back to the scriptures and began to ask questions about what is the obligation of the church to the poor. And I saw where Jesus put himself in the place of the poor and said, if you've done it to the least of these, uh, you've done it to me. And I came to a place where I had to repent, because what I had been doing is prioritizing the commands of Christ rather than finding a way to obey everything that Jesus commanded, which is the essence of discipleship, uh, obedience to everything Jesus commanded. And so the journey for me then became, how do I bring evangelism and compassion, two things that had been separated by my tradition, back together in ways that uh, proclaim the gospel in word and deed. Uh, I came home from the Philippines on a home assignment asking questions uh, about how to do this and was introduced to the strategy of CHE, Community Health Evangelism. I remember reading through the, the approach and thinking to myself, this is it. This is how you bring evangelism and compassion together in ways that truly alleviate poverty and build the church. And so I started with community health evangelism in 1980, 1996. Uh, so it's been, what, almost 30 years now, um, 26 years. And it's been uh, the journey of my life. Yeah. So I know in your book, Beyond Poverty, Multiplying Sustainable Community Development, which we're going to have in our show notes, by the way, we'll have a link to that book and where you can you can get that. There's a chapter somewhere around the middle, I think, uh, that you talk about transformation development. I remember a big uh, water tower kind of uh, icon or image that talked about the four different uh, types of participation and truths. Can you go over those briefly? Yeah, I think there are some keys to transformational development. One of them is uh, understanding the difference between relief and development, when it is that we need to give aid and when we need to build capacity. And uh, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that we make. 
when we approach the poor is that we we don't discern between a crisis situation uh, that has overcome them temporarily and a chronic situation, and they require two different kinds of responses. Uh, the one we call development, the other relief. So one of the core principles that I operate from is development. We're working on chronic problems. We're working at the roots of suffering, and we want to find long-term sustainable developments, uh, solutions to their problems. Um, and uh, a second is integration, meaning that um, poverty is not going to be solved uh, with a single bullet. We can go and put in a well, but that's not going to take care of the domestic violence, uh, the agricultural problems, the lack of education, um, the other things that contribute to poverty. And so if we're going to have real solutions to poverty, we need to be generalists who work across the disciplines rather than specialists working within them. And I find often in my uh, background with churches that our uh, approach is uh, the single bullet. We're going to go do a project that's going to alleviate poverty. What we need to do, though, is to develop an integrated approach that addresses all of the uh, deprivations that hold people down simultaneously. And that means being in the village and with the people. The other part of integration is that um, we, uh, we can't separate the physical from the spiritual. Um, the kingdom of God in its fullest man manifestation is going uh, to be a time when there's no more sickness, no more hunger, no more pain, no more uh, death. And the, the purpose of Jesus' coming was to restore everything that was lost or broken uh, in the fall. And... Uh, and so uh, the message of the gospel can't be separated from the brokenness of sin. And unless we're dealing with both, we're not going to alleviate poverty. And I could give a lot of examples of that. I do in my book. But our, uh, our approach needs to integrate evangelism and discipleship with uh, disease prevention and community-based development. So we talk about uh, integration and development. Another core principle is multiplication. Jesus started a movement when he sent out his disciples. Uh, he said to them, uh, make disciples of all nations. Now, if I was one of the 12 sitting there, uh, listening to him, I'd have thought, ooh, I, I, I might be able to reach some people in Jerusalem, uh, but Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, the only way that was going to be achieved is by training people who would train people in creating movements. And this, the same thing is true with, um, with community-based development. The things that we do uh, need to be able to be multiplied moved from one community to another, which means we need to look at uh, local resources. And that's the fourth principle, uh, local resources and uh, 
uh, ownership needs to belong to the people themselves. There's an exchange that takes place when we enter into a community. Uh, if I come in and ask a community, what are your needs? Uh, they're standing there uh, barefoot with uh, the only uh, change of clothes they have on their backs. Um, they uh, don't have food security. They don't have um, they don't have clean water. They don't have sanitation. I I come to them uh, in a uh, SUV, flew to them on an airplane. I have shoes that cover my feet, and I have a whole suitcase full of clothes in my hand. They look at me and they they think I'm the answer to their problems, and so. If I come and say to them, what do you need? They're going to hand me their problem. That's what I call the exchange. When they hand the problem to me, then it's going to be my resources, my thinking that solves the problem. I'm going to bring in capital from the outside, which can't be multiplied. So what happens in that exchange is that they become passive recipients and I become the active participant in their development process. We can't allow that exchange to take place. We have to recognize that they are the owners of their development, and we have to uh, allow them to use local resources to solve. So the, the opposite of the exchange is when I come in and say, what do you have? And we help them identify the causes of their problems, see what resources they have. And when you put the causes and the resources together in front of them, they create local solutions that are not only sustainable, but because they've used local resources can be multiplied. So what we're seeing around the world uh, as we use these four principles in our uh, in our ministry are communities that are lifting themselves out of cycles of poverty and disease, churches being established at the heart of these communities, and the entire success being multiplied uh, from village to village. Terry, do you have any examples of where these principles were applied and, and were successful? Uh, yeah, I just came back from Pakistan in the province of Sindh. Um, and uh, there was a community there of uh, about 21 families, 151 people, uh, living in generational slavery to a landlord about three hours north of Karachi in Pakistan. When our teams approached them, uh, they were getting less than a dollar a day to live on. Um, they were working 12, 15 hours, sometimes longer than that, uh, with the profits going to the landlord. Uh, they had generational debt that the landlords uh, held against them so that if they wanted their freedom, they had to pay for the debts that their fathers left behind. Um, so it looked like a very desperate situation. And uh, our team went and asked them, what do you have? Um, is there anything that you can pull together to buy your own land? And so they thought and came back to our trainer and said, well, we have uh, jewelry uh, and we have animals that we raise for food. Um, so the trainer asked them, would you be willing to sell those things? 
in order to buy land uh, and be free. And they went and talked again. They came back and they said, yes, we would be willing to do that. So the trainer went uh, to the landlord, threatened to sue the landlord if he didn't let them go, uh, told uh, uh, and worked out an agreement with the landlord that he would let them go if if they would not sue him. And uh, so then they they took the money that they they got from their jewelry and their cattle and they bought land. And under the coaching of this trainer, they built houses with local materials. They put in a, a, a water system with clean water. They built a school uh, where all of the boys and girls are being educated. Um, they, uh, they were helped with... Uh, animal husbandry and given some goats uh, that that they could use to multiply, and they they have uh, done that. Um, and uh, so when I arrived to hear the testimony of this team, this is what they said: We were slaves, and now we're free, <laughs> free to uh, send our kids to school free to keep uh, the, uh, the fruits of our labor. Uh, we're, we're, um, we're free to follow Jesus. And they testified that every individual in that community had come to Christ, and, there, um, and, the, and they were the church. Uh, so um, my reason for being there in Pakistan was um, to gather leaders from around the country, showcase what God had done in this village that was already multiplying into three other villages uh, and challenge them to, to adopt villages across the country and create a national strategy. There were about 53 leaders that came together. They went and heard the testimony of these people, danced with them uh, uh, and and saw the joy and heard the testimonies of the children, uh, quoting verses and reading and uh, uh, and they went back uh, and I challenged them with a, a message uh, concerning the poor. As a result, uh, those leaders adopted two hundred and forty villages north to south. Uh, and committed uh, to Duce in in those places, and so um, we're beginning to see now in Pakistan the formation of a national coalition and a national movement, uh, and that's uh, all built on those those principles. Well, your book is is so adequately um, titled. Beyond Poverty, Multiplying Sustainable Community Development. I mean, this is clearly an example. And I know you have many others. And, you know, as believers, I know, um, you know, our vision, your vision in Che goes beyond poverty alleviation. It's more than that. And there's a lot of organizations and there's nothing wrong with an organization taking that as its goal. But your Che goes beyond poverty alleviation and embraces the call to take the gospel um, 
of the kingdom to every tribe and every nation. I know in Matthew 24, 14, although it may, it is not one of the official uh, commissioning statements. We see this woven throughout scripture in many different places where it says in this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I, I want to use that to lead into the next discussion and tell us about the Million Village Challenge. Well, the Million Village Challenge uh, is a challenge to the church. The church is uniquely positioned and equipped to do what God has asked them to do. And um, if we're going to reach the people with no gospel witness among them, we're going to have to go to those places that are marginalized. The majority of the least reached peoples on earth are in rural poor villages. Um, and I'd like to talk just about rural villages from, from what I believe might be Jesus' perspective. Uh, when uh, Jesus uh, came to earth, he was born in a manger. He grew up in Nazareth which was a village of about 1,500 people, much like the villages that we go into, where we see uh, children in tattered clothes, a lack of clean water, a lack of sanitation, and hygiene, uh, frequent death uh, before the age of five because of preventable uh, diseases, uh, living only with dirt floors. And so people said of Jesus, uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was a poor village, far from the power structures in Jerusalem and the big uh, cities of the time. And he called his people from, he called his disciples from Galilee. Uh, and then uh, we see in Matthew 25, Jesus talking about the sheep goat's judgment and, and, and saying this, if you have done it to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it to me. And in my mind, when I hear those words, I see Jesus standing in that poor village in Nazareth, in, in Nazareth, um, and, and saying, come. He's, it's not like he's standing in, in the part of power structures saying, go. But I, I see him standing there as one of them saying, come. And Jesus is calling us to the poor. Uh, he is also calling us uh, to bring the gospel to the least reached. And the Million Village Challenge, I think, brings these two things together in very significant ways. If we're going to finish the task among every tribe, tongue, and nation, if we're going to see uh, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered around the throne. It's not going to happen unless we go to those most marginalized and uh, reach them with the truth of the gospel. Well said. And I, I look forward uh, to where maybe you and I can travel again and, and uh, visit some of these success stories and take the news to those uh, villages that yet to be yet to hear it. Terry, thank you for joining us today. As we wrap up with one last question, how can we pray for you and your team? Yeah, uh, we are working on uh, a dozen what we call million village consultations, just like what happened in uh, Pakistan just last week. 
where we are going to be inviting leaders from around the country together to uh, take them to see a model village and the transformation that t- takes place and ask them to get training and adopt villages and begin to put together as a coalition a national strategy for their country or for their region. Um, it, it costs money for us to do these uh, consultations, uh, but we're finding uh, an uh, amazing response. The place in Pakistan, Pakistan is 98% Muslim. So when you think about 240 villages adopted by Pakistani Christians in Pakistan, uh, that's an amazing result. And that's what we want to see in other places as well. So pray as we seek to form these national coalitions within our network. We'll do that. And certainly CCV will stand by you. And we've been uh, partnered with you for many years now. I remember the back in the days when we did the International Holistic Missions Conference um, where these principles were taught. And so CCV looks forward to standing with you and joining you in the, the movement that's going to embrace uh, these opportunities together around the world and to bring the, the love and truth and good news to, to a million villages. Terry, thank you for joining us today. And thank you, Larry, for your support and for allowing me to be here today. Well, as we wrap up today's show, we want to thank you for listening. You can follow us on your favorite podcast app and leave us a five-star review if you like what you've heard today and want to hear more. That way, more people can hear about what God is doing around the world. Also, you can follow us on our website at www.letsgo360.org. You can also check out CCV at CCV's website, ccv.church. Thanks for joining us. And as we talk with those living out the Great Commission, inspired by the Great Commandments, so that we might stand before the great multitudes, before the throne when the mission of God is complete. May God bless you as we go and send those here, near, and far.